Good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to Counterbalance Radio here on KZUM 89.3 FM and KZUM HD. Counterbalance is a progressive Christian talk show featuring Richard Randolph and myself, Beth Menhusen, as your co-hosts. Richard and I are both pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Beth. Tomorrow in churches around the world, we'll be celebrating All Saints Day. That's a, a service for commemorating those who have passed away and are no longer with us. So today on Counterbalance, we'll be discussing death and the afterlife from a progressive Christian perspective. However, before we begin our discussion this morning, for just a minute, I'd like to revisit our show from last week, which focused on climate change. One of our listeners um, from last week um, about the environment um, sent us a very thoughtful email. Um, and uh, I'm afraid that we don't have time to go into great detail about all of the excellent points which, which he made. Um, but our listener did recommend an interesting book to read, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Quinn's thoughtful novel, uh, Ishmael. I've read Ishmael, uh, actually, at the request of my son when he was in high school Hmm. and thought that this was a very interesting suggestion from our listener last week. Welcome back to Counterbalance, a weekly radio show here on KZUM. I am one of your co-hosts, Beth Menhusen, here with Richard Randolph. Richard, you're, you're looking a little tired this morning. Uh, I am. I am tired, Beth. I stayed up late last night. Doing what exactly? Well, yesterday was November the first, which meant <laughs> that it was uh, uh, it was the uh, time when we could uh, we could finally start watching the second season of Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy's uh, uh, character, Jack Ryan. And uh, so I, my wife and I, um, we decided we'd stay up and watch an episode or two. Or two. Yeah. So stayed up late watching TV last night. That's unlike you. Usually I'm the night owl. That's true. That's true. Well, while we're just sharing sort of impertinent or irrelevant facts about uh, ourselves uh-huh. uh, today, I want our listeners to know that if Beth seems a little distracted today, it's because immediately after this radio show, she's going to uh, be headed up to Omaha. And do you want to tell our listeners what's happening in Omaha for you? Oh. Well, I uh, my friends are holding a bachelorette party for me. So I've been told that brunch is a mandatory part of, of I don't know, all of these wedding things, it seems like. So uh-huh. we're brunching. And You're then brunching? We're- Yes. Yeah. Very important. You know, before the show, I mentioned that I, I myself have never been invited to a bachelorette party. So I'm interested to hear all the details uh, you feel comfortable sharing. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'll be the key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, can hardly wait. Yeah. Probably very few details. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. One of the things we're doing is painting pottery. So I, I think, I don't think anything there will be too scandalous. You can hear all about the pottery painting. Okay, I'll, I'll at least hear about that. Yeah. Maybe I'll even see a pot. Maybe, hopefully. Yeah, that's great. Well, this morning on, on uh, Counterbalance, um, we are talking about the pers- progressive Christian perspective on death and the afterlife in light of 
um, the celebration of All Saints Day tomorrow um, in many churches around the world. Um, Generally, our show is intended to focus on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. And we call ourselves counterbalance because we're seeking to counterbalance more conservative Christian perspectives that seem to be all too frequently heard on other radio and television stations. Um, both Beth and I are pastors at Christ uh, and Connection Point United Methodist Church here in Lincoln, which is uh, one church in two different locations with two very different personalities, and yet at the same time, shared commitments to act inclusively, seek God, serve others, and work for justice. That's right. At Christ Connection Point, we strive to welcome, include, and affirm all people, whatever their ethnicity, economic class, uh, gender, or sexual orientation, because we recognize that all people are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. You can find out more information about us and about our our church at uh, two websites, Counterbalance Kate. Count? No. Um, yep. You can find information about com. Absolutely. Yeah. So we did, we built a new website. And so um, you can find information about Richard and I there about Christ and Connection Point. And as time goes on, we're going to share some some background reading and maybe some special interviews on our website as well. Maybe details about a bachelorette party. Uh, no. That's com. That's our new website. We mm-hmm. hope that you'll check it out. Absolutely. So as I said, today we're going to be exploring how we understand death in the afterlife as progressive Christians um, and perhaps as, as clergy, uh, especially, you know, Richard sometimes leads more than a dozen funerals in a year. Uh, maybe we're thinking more about these topics um, than the average person. Um, but I think everybody is there confronted with the experience of death in their lives, you know, as loved ones. Um, just our close acquaintances or, you know, people in the public eye uh, that we all know about pass away. Um, You know, we all have to face death, the idea of death. And I think we all develop some belief about its meaning or, or purpose, whether it's a really practical belief, you know, just like it happens, it happens to everybody eventually. It's part of the cycle of life. Exactly. Or, um, or if we, you know, develop, uh, you know, a personal understanding of, of how we uh, see death, whether we fear it, whether we um, accept it, whether we, uh, how we go through the grieving process um, and, and how we view death from a spiritual perspective. Um, in terms of its purpose and you know, why it happens or what happens afterwards. Um, you know, inevitably our, our bodies will grow old and, and wear down and we'll all die, but it's, it's always the living who are left to face the questions about death and, and cope with their grief. Um, one thing I think it's important to lay out um, is that as progressive Christians, uh, we don't see death even you know the tragic, unexpected deaths um, that we witness as as part of God's punishment. No, I think um, especially when you know a natural disaster happens and you know people die in these big swaths. Um, there's been some rhetoric. I can remember I was young when like Katrina happened, um, right. but I can remember even then um, certain news anchors saying, "Oh, well, this is God's punishment for the way that New Orleans, the people of New Orleans, were living their lives." Um, and I think that's really misguided uh, because God is, is all loving. I think that's the most important, you know, part of my beliefs. And I think the beliefs of most progressive Christians mm-hmm. is that God is love. Um, and I don't think God would use death for any sort of revenge. 
That, that's not very loving. Um, and I think it's also problematic for Christians to take the view that, I mean, you know, sometimes when, when a loved one passes away, people will say things like, oh, God just needed them in heaven. Right. Um, and I, I think that, that that's troublesome. And once again, cast God as kind of this selfish individual who would just take our loved ones from us because he wants them more. Um, I think, you know, if God is all powerful and can have a relationship with us, then he can have a relationship with us at any time and any place. Um, so Richard, I'm imagining that as a pastor for, for 30, over 35 years now that you've heard, uh, phrases like that and other kind of problematic quips that are meant to comfort people that actually do more harm than good. Um, are there any other examples of those like phrases or beliefs that, that you've heard or, or maybe examples of how you respond when people um, kind of say those, those, they're intended well, I think usually uh, when said to people that are grieving, but they're, us- they're not helpful either. How, how do you usually respond or what do you? Um, so uh, first of all, just in terms of those types of things that uh, are said, you know, uh, Sometimes people say uh, death is God's way of punishing uh, a people Mm -hmm. or an individual. Uh, Sometimes God needed another angel in heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes uh, people say, well, it's just, um, you know, it's just for the better. God God knew something bad might happen down the road. And Mm -hmm. so God's protecting that individual. And um, I actually... I know of a couple of individuals. Um, um, I was uh, actually trying to find it online so I could give the right reference. Uh, I had a friend whose uh, adult son uh, passed away, and um, uh, she wrote a book mm-hmm. about all of the, really all the stupid things that people said oh, to no. her. Um, and I've had another friend who who lost her first husband who threatened to write a book. I don't think that she ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, what I try to say as a pastor is that, um, in many respects, uh, death is a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had parishioners who were really, really sick, maybe terminally ill and, and they wanted to die and yet mm-hmm. they didn't die. And I remember in particular a parishioner, uh, whom I visited for several weeks uh, at his home, and he kept saying, Richard, I just want, I'm in so much pain. I just, I'm such a burden to my family. I just want, I just want to go. I want to, I want God to take me. Why won't God just mm-hmm. take me? So uh, in many ways, death is, uh, is a mystery. Um, and so um, what I try to focus on is not, as a pastor is to discourage uh, individuals from trying to come up with an explanation of why, of why a person, why God quote unquote allowed a person to die or, or had a person die Mm -hmm. um, to focus not so much on the explanation of that, but to focus more on the Christian perspective that death is not the termination of our existence. Mm-hmm. Instead, death is um, a point of transformation 
from this life to a new life to becoming part of the new creation, which I think we'll talk about more mm-hmm. in, late, later in the show. Um, and and so to focus on on God's promises uh, that God will always be with us, that God is not going to abandon us. Mm-hmm. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter four, just before um, he goes to Jerusalem and is uh, is betrayed and crucified. Uh, there's a line where Jesus says, I will not leave you orphaned. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in my own pastoral work, I tend to focus more on encouraging people not to not to nail, try to figure out an explanation because at the end of the day, I'm not sure. Um, you know, sometimes the explanation's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody was uh, very old and had lived a great life and, uh, their body was wearing out, but for the most part, I think it's really hard to. I just think it's wrong to to focus on an explanation of mm-hmm. why somebody died, but instead to pro, to focus on the on God's promise that God is always with us, even in death, right. and that death is not the termination of our existence from a Christian perspective. Right. Absolutely. Um, I think, and that's one the, the focusing on uh, on. For me, I guess, from the, uh, if I were to to venture to say, you know, why do we die? I mean, that's where um, I think for me, science comes in, especially if you're talking about dying of old age. Um, You know, the death is, you know, really a scientific certainty at this point with the technology that we have. Um, So in all of our cells, we have DNA and at the ends of the DNA are telomeres. And every time that our cells divide, which they're always doing, you know, as we, um, as we lose, you know, dead skin and new skin grows, as we, you know, heal from wounds and things, our, our cells are dividing. And every time they do, those telomeres shorten until they're, until they're gone. Um, and so when the telomere's gone, the cell dies. Um, and so until, uh, if there's at some point in the future of humanity, until we can change that process on the molecular level, until we can add the telomeres back on to cells, um, and it would have to be, you know, to like all of ourselves, like mm-hmm. it would be quite the process um, from a practical scientific perspective. Uh, we're not going to be able to avoid death. Um, and I think that rather than fearing death or trying to come up with explanations for it, like you said, we have to uh, come to terms with it um, to, to get to the point where we see it as part of the life cycle. Um, and more importantly, learn how to grieve well um, for those that we've lost. Right. Um, so I, for instance, like I, I used to really struggle with the idea of funerals um, or like going to visit the graves of loved ones. I remember like as a teenager, I would tell my parents like, that's stupid. They're not there. I'm not going to go visit grandma's grave. Um, but I've come to realize that the, the funerals and, and those rituals um, of, of, you know, going to a graveside or doing all celebrating all saints day um, no, they're not really for the dead. They're for the living um, to begin to, to process and cope with grief, mm-hmm. um, to make sense of, of, of what life looks like now without this person, to remember the things that this person um, you know, added to their life, the things that they taught them, the way they enriched their lives. Um, and, and I think, you know, well, now as a pastor, I, I certainly think it's okay um, it's okay for funerals to serve that purpose. It's okay for us to have rituals of grief. 
Um, and I think we all go through grief. Um, we have our own process <clears throat> and it looks different for everybody. Um, you were talking about, um, you know, a friend that wrote a book about all the things, crazy things <clears throat> people say. Um, there's a book that, that I've read by Nicholas Walterstorff called Lament for a Son. Um, and it's an example of, of a person of faith really struggling with his son's untimely death. Um, and, uh, and how it, how it challenges faith, how it challenges relationship with other people when they would say, you know, insensitive things like that. Um, but it was really, it's also really powerful in the way that he, he like, he like turns away from God and then turns back to God through the scriptures and the Psalms and the, um, and, and finds com- almost finds comfort in the not knowing why it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's a really a really beautiful book, um, hard book to read, even if you haven't lost someone recently. Um, right. But I think it would also be helpful for people dealing with grief. Right. And I, I got, I've got the, the reference for the book that I had referred okay. to. So um, it's uh, called, And Then Mark Died. Mm. Um, uh, the subtitle is Letters of Grief, Love, and Faith. And it was written by uh, Susan Vogel, V-O-G-E-L, mm-hmm. uh, published uh, in 2003 and uh, available, you know, wherever uh, books are sold. Wherever books are sold. Um, so th- I, I highly recommend that book as well. I think there are actually some really good books about grief mm-hmm. um, and about lo- losing loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um but those are uh, obviously two that have uh, had an impact on, on you and me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then Mark died is the, the, the reference that I was trying to, to come up with a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I see your point. I think it's a, a good point, Beth, about, about funerals. Uh, one of the things when I'm meeting with a family to, to plan a funeral, I, I, uh, uh, I begin... Uh, always begin with a prayer, uh, thanking God for the person who's deceased mm-hmm. and for all that they've meant to us in our lives. And and then before we, we begin planning, I always tell the family that the funeral funerals are for the living. Mm-hmm. They're not for the dead. And um, so what we want to do is to uh, create a funeral that there's going to be a worship service that will... Uh, lift up and celebrate the life of this individual and at the same time offer healing to people who are in grief. Because when, when someone dies, it's like, I always think of life, human, humans live in, in some ways we're like spiders. We live in a, a web of networks mm-hmm. of, of individuals. Mm-hmm. And it begins with our, our, our immediate family and, then our schoolmates and, and then the web grows as, as we go through life. And so when somebody important to us dies, it's like um, for a time, this huge gaping hole has been torn in the web of our, our, our lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, funerals are always about comforting those who are, who are living and celebrating the person who has passed away. Um, I always preach about the belief we have as Christians that nothing, not even death itself, can can separate us from the love of God. Um, and um, I frequently use that passage. Um, 
in Romans 8, where that's exactly what Paul says. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, here's a fun fact. Uh, I'll be preaching on Romans 8 tomorrow for our All Saints Sunday uh, at, at Christ United Methodist Church. Um, I think that remembering that God's love is still there is comforting to the family and to the friends who we've lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does lead us to a question. What do we believe as Christians about what comes after death? Um, that is, what does the afterlife look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Richard, I think, um, you know, death is some, itself is kind of something concrete that we can all look and say it happens. But then the afterlife um, is kind of this big question that, that every you know, faith system, you know, every, every worldview kind of has its own idea of what, of what happens. Um, mm-hmm. And even among Christians, there's an array of views about, you know, what, what happens after death. Um, just this week, I was asked by someone if I know where I'm going when I die. Um, heaven or hell is how he posed the question. Um, and, and that question um, well, bothers me, usually because it's asked in a confrontational manner, but also because um, I don't really believe that getting into heaven um, is the purpose of the Christian faith. Um, and that's what he and I were in a conversation about. Um, so I believe Jesus showed us that there's so much to do here and now um, so many ways to be in communion with God and our neighbors in this lifetime. Um, and so, I don't know, the idea of like a, a scorecard that gets us into heaven or doesn't um, right. is not something I believe in. Um, and I think if you start to question that, then then there's like, well, what do I believe in? You know, what, what does the afterlife look like in my view? Um, which is something I think, um, you know, if you're being thoughtful in developing your faith, um, you have to grapple with, and it takes uh, takes some reading and some um, and some thinking about what do you believe the after uh, the afterlife looks like um, if you have this kind of uh, progressive faith that's that's rooted in the incarnation, you know, meaning that you know God became human uh, to to sort of validate and affirm the goodness of humanity. Um, you know, if if the goal is not to escape our bodies necessarily. Um, then, then what is the goal? Um, so Richard, I, you've, you've done a lot of reading and, and some research and about, about the afterlife, which, um, kind of I, I, relates to the nature of the soul, which we talked about in a summer series, but, right. um, so can you just like lay some of those theories about the afterlife out for us, the theories from across Christianity? Sure. Um, there's really, um, I think two main schools of thought about the afterlife mm-hmm. uh, within within Christian thought and tradition. I'm not saying that there's others, but but it seems to me that there's two. Um, and the first one is uh, called dualism. And actually, um, both of these uh, theories of the afterlife are rooted in our understanding of what it means to be a human person. Mm-hmm. Um so in in the 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 first view um uh which um is uh comes really from the Greeks uh although it's incorporated a little bit in the New Testament uh but the theory of of dualism is that um we're comprised of a physical body and a spiritual soul 
And so uh, we go through life this, um, you know, as this dualist, with this dualistic nature, a physical body and a spiritual soul. And um, then at death, what happens is that the, 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 the immaterial spiritual soul is separated from the physical human body. And uh, the soul is what uh, goes to... Um, be in union with uh, with with the divine. Uh, it's the soul which goes to heaven. This immaterial, non physical soul that, that that goes to heaven. And I always, um, maybe a bit flippantly, I always uh, when I'm trying to describe sort of the dualistic view of of heaven um, and, and of death, um, ask people to think about a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, where someone where someone dies and um occasionally this uh my favorite cartoons are the road road runner Mm -hmm. and occasionally this happens to wiley coyote at the very end of the of the cartoon not always but but if you'll just work with me on this uh wiley um coyote something happens it's just catastrophic and and he dies and the way it's uh depicted in the cartoon is that there's this little pale um, pale image of the deceased, say Wiley Coyote, with little angel wings sort of fluttering their little angel wings and and and, and flying up to heaven. Uh, and in the cartoon, the, the 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 pale image of the character along with the angel wings is meant to depict, uh, depict the non-material, immaterial um, soul, soul that, yeah. that goes up to heaven. And so uh, so that's the dualist uh, perspective. Um, there's some, um, there's some uh, scriptural passages uh, which um, I think do lend some credits or give some grounding for this uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one of them is, um, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 44 through 46, uh, Paul writes, it is um, sown in a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Um so thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. And um, so uh, I think some people interpret that as uh, an understanding of um, of uh, um, maybe a, a dualist perspective on the part of Paul, Although I think uh, Richard Middleton, who's a, who's a theologian, makes a good point when he writes that um, when Paul says spiritual in this chapter in 1 Corinthians, he's not really referring to immaterial as we normally think. Um, uh, instead, what Paul means, uh, and I'm quoting uh, Middleton here, Paul means a body enlivened, empowered, and transformed by God's Spirit. So... You know, even there, there's a little bit of of uh, of, of a controversy. Um, the um, another example of of maybe 
of a dualist perspective within the scriptures is in uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians chapter 5, the first two verses, when he writes, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Um, for in this tent we groan, lodging to be clothed with our heavenly dwellings. So you, you could interpret that as, as sort of a, a dualist perspective, a physical tent that we're living in now versus a, a spiritual building or, or stable place in, in heaven. So um, I think that uh, for Christians who take the dualist perspective that, you know, there are some Christian, uh, there are some scriptural uh, warrants for that. Um, and I think personally that um, that's the predominant view in the United States. Right, I, I think so. That uh, uh, that when we talk about heaven, uh, we talk about our soul, we're talking about an immaterial, um, physical, uh, non-physical um, soul that goes uh, immediately to God to be in, in uh, to to be with God in in heaven where we. Uh, are able to encounter all of our other um, friends who have their own souls uh, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one perspective. Now, the other perspective is the is um, a, a physicalist perspective, um, and um, I think we'll probably uh, need. A, I think we'll take a break mm-hmm. and then come to that. But let me just say, uh, from my perspective. First of all, I have to be clear and transparent with um, the audience that I really hold to the, uh, the the second viewpoint, which is more of a physical resurrection instead of a, a, a spiritual immature, immaterial uh, rising of a, of a of a soul to to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. Uh, my major problem with dualism is not in the scriptures or in the idea, but in sort of the implications of what does that mean for the rest of earth and for all of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Santmeyer, um, a Christian historian and pastor, has written that, you know, when we take this view, creation all of creation becomes, quote, just the stage upon which the drama of human salvation plays out. Right. And, and I think that um, perhaps uh, in, throughout history at times, different uh, theologians uh, and persons of faith have, have uh, mistakenly minimized uh, and ignored the depth of God's love for all of creation. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that God created everything else in the world just for our just for humans but right. but rather for god for on god's self and you know you go back to those creation stories which we've talked about before on this show and you know in genesis 1 god creates and sees that it's good mm-hmm. it's good it's good i think it, that appears seven times in the, in the first chapter of of genesis and then at the, at the very end god looks at all of creation and it's very good. It's not that God looks at humans and says, oh, humans are good, are very good. And there's instead, a purpose of it all. Yeah. Instead, all of creation is very good. Mm-hmm. And so part of what I like about this um, second Christian understanding of, uh, of what happens in the afterlife is that it can be understood in a way that incorporates all of creation mm-hmm. 
and I really believe that uh, God loves all of creation. But uh, perhaps we should take a break mm-hmm. now. Yeah, and we'll get back to to another theory about uh, the afterlife uh, from the Christian perspective right after these messages. Welcome back to Counterbalance, a weekly radio show here on KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Our show focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. And we're called Counterbalance because we seek to counterbalance more conservative Christian perspectives. I'm Beth Menhusen, one of the co-hosts for Counterbalance. And I'm Richard Randolph, uh, uh, also a co-host. Today we are talking about death and the afterlife in light of the Christian celebration of All Saints uh, Day. Um, All Saints Day is uh, always uh, November the 1st, but uh, for most churches, the celebration uh, this year will be on uh, the Sunday, November the 3rd, uh, which is tomorrow. We're always interested, uh, no matter what we're talking about, to hear what our listeners have to say. So if you have a question or a comment, feel free to call us here at the station. The number is 402-474-5086, extension 1. You can also message us on Facebook by just going to the Counterbalance KZUM page, or you can find us on Twitter at CB Radio KZUM. Before the break, we were talking about a few different theories that... Uh, Christians might hold uh, about the afterlife. So what happens when we die? Uh, Richard explained dualism, which is the view that our soul is separate from our physical body. And at death, our our physical bodies die and our soul goes up to heaven to be with God. Um, but he was uh, posing a, a second theory, which is called physicalism. So um, Richard, can you explain that for our, for our listeners? Sure. Um, just a caveat. I... I um I said before the break that I I'm on the physicalist side mm-hmm. uh, of this of uh, these two possibilities these two theories, but I also want to say that you know uh, for people um, for my friends and family who are dualist, um, I just I just want to say that I, I think that that's a perfectly reasonable Christian perspective on the afterlife. Uh, there's some uh, scriptural warrant to it. Um, so I don't want to, you know, you put me in a, or put myself in a place where I need to choose between the two, but in choosing physicalism, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say that dualism is wrong. Right. Uh, I may get to heaven and find out all these years that I've been wrong about it and that really it's a dualist, uh, um, reality, uh, in heaven. But, um, so I do just want to claim, you know, Paul for me sometimes is frustrating. I think, you can be reading uh, one of Paul's letters, particularly in the Corinthians, and in one chapter it sounds like he's a dualist uh, to me, and then in another chapter it sounds like he's a physicalist. Mm-hmm. Although, I think most biblical scholars believe that fundamentally uh, Paul was a, uh, was a physicalist. So what is physicalism? It's a, it's a belief in a physical resurrection, um, a belief that uh, at the end of uh, time, at the uh, apocalypse, uh, the I'm sorry, at the eschaton, mm-hmm. at the end of time, uh, that we will be physically resurrected, and um, then um, uh, we will be uh, together with uh, with God um, here on here on Earth. Earth. Yeah. Right, 
And that's based uh, out of text from the book of Revelation, correct? Correct. I was just going to read that uh, passage from Revelation uh, for people uh, to just, um, so people would just have an idea. It's from Revelation chapter 21. Mm -hmm. And I'll just read the first seven verses. Um, It's a, it's a prophecy because it's from Revelation um, and Revelation is a book of prophecy, but The prophecy reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Grieving and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And then he also said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I shall give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Um, so uh, that that is a passage which is clearly uh, talking more about um uh, it, it's a physicalist approach to mm-hmm. to the afterlife. Uh, it's when God creates everything anew and makes uh, a new creation. And I especially like that part in that passage, Beth, um, uh, where it says that God is coming down to earth to live with humans, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is uh, very profound. So the, the physicalist uh, resurrection perspective just... Um, uh, says that at the end of time, we will be physically resurrected, uh, but uh, we will be a new creation mm-hmm. with uh, with new bodies, and uh, and that this is all part of of God's plan. Which I think um, is what we see with the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the whole the story in the gospel goes that you know Jesus dies and they bury him, and the third day the women go to the tomb, and there's not a body there. That's right. The body is gone. And then Jesus appears to them um, in a way that that you know he can be touched and felt, and he's talking to them. Right. Um, and so we see, and he eats, and he eats even. Right. Um, and so, so to me, that that points to you know the physical resurrection. And I think we talk a lot about um, you know Jesus' resurrection as being a foretaste of what we all have to look forward to. You know, in this right. eschaton where there's a new heaven and a, a new earth. Uh, and we all experience that kind of resurrection. Um, and I think sort of to go what to go back to what you said before the break, this this idea of physicalism for me, um, it, it fits into um, a whole theology better, my, my theology better than than dualism um, because it I mean, it answers uh, like the why, like why? Why should we, like for instance, like why did God create earth in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's just like you said earlier, a stage for us to, to play out on, then then why, um, 
why have all this beauty around us? You know, why have all these, you know, complex ecological systems if it's really all just for us to figure out that we're sinful and, you know, accept God and, and be saved. Right. Um, so to me, the, the, to, and I, it affir- physicalism affirms that creation is good, that it exists for a purpose. It really complements, uh, you know, ideas that, um, that we've been talking about around stewardship that we, we are stewardship called, of creation, stewardship mm-hmm. of creation, that we're called to be good stewards of creation, to care for it, that we should care about things like climate change that we talked about last week. Um, uh, because this earth is, is where, uh, where salvation, it is where salvation plays out, but for everything, mm-hmm. you know, not only are we made new at, at the end of time, but so is, is earth and the, the ways in which we've harmed it. Um, and, uh, you know, killed off species and, and caused ecological destruction. All of that too will be healed right. um, by God uh, when, when we are healed. Um, and also I think Christianity, um, at least, you know, at the time when I was growing up, um, the, the very like conservative right-wing Christianity was really into um, kind of, well, basically body shaming. The purity culture was a real thing. Right. Um, and so, especially for, you know, young women, um, this idea and it, the message that was put out was that bodies are bad and they would pull um, scriptures like from Paul, what said, well, you have a physical body and you have a spiritual soul and the spiritual soul is more important. They would use a scripture like that to to tell us that as you know, young young people, our bodies are bad and dirty, and we should you know avoid every physical temptation and just focus on our spirits. Um, and I think that's a really unhealthy perspective, um, right. and very harmful and shameful. It's a very dualistic perspective. It's a, it's a very you know, dualistic the, perspective. That the spiritual side of you is disconnected from the physical side. Right. And uh, for me, many times my. I'll have a spiritual experience through, you know, for example, walking in a forest and uh, have a very spiritual uh, experience by looking at all of the trees and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a, and I think um, absolutely some of our most spiritual experiences can be um, very, very tactile um, and, and rooted in this physical existence. And, and for me, that, that ties further to the incarnation of, of Christ. Um, we talked about this a little bit last year before we had our own show even, mm-hmm. uh, when we talked about um, the, you know, the, ver- the, the birth of Christ. Um, and I th- it's really important because it's the Christian idea is that God becomes human in the form of Jesus Christ. Um, and so I think if, if God thought that all that was valuable about us was our souls. Why would God bother? Right. You know, why, why have it? Seems like a lot of work. It does seem like a lot of work and suffering and, and all of that. Like I think Jesus, you know, God becomes human through Jesus um, to show us that there is something to this physical existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and Jesus in one point is talking to his disciples and says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here. Right. It's now. And I, that's, that's really, um, that's really my belief, and I think it ties to the physicalist perspective. Right, and, and I have to say, uh, well, I, what I'd like to just uh, share with our listeners is the, uh, a particular theologian who's been really um, influential in my own thinking, and uh, that's the English uh, theologian Sir John Polkinghorne. 
Um, for the listeners who've never heard of Polking Horn, he uh, uh, was an individual who uh, was a very devout Christian. He was a priest in the Church of England, but also he was uh, a fully trained PhD physicist who uh, did research and wrote papers and really combined science and, and faith in and, and some very profound ways. Um, but an important emphasis for, for Polkinghorn is that God's creative activity is canonic. Uh, now, canonic comes from uh, the Greek word kenosis, mm-hmm. which means to be self-emptying or self-limiting. And so for Polkinghorn, um, God's creative activity is is uh, canonic in the sense of being freely self-limiting, which allows greater freedom in the world because God is not controlling everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the canonic, uh, this canonic creation grows out of God's affirmation and love for for human beings. And so, for example, Polkinghorne writes, "I am proposing that God interacts with the world, but is in not but is not in total control of all of its processes." This act of creation involves divine acceptance of the risk of the existence of the other. And there is a consequent kenosis. It arises from the logic of love, which requires the freedom of the beloved. So what Polkinghorne is saying is that if God truly loves human beings created in in God's own image, then God has to give us freedom even though that may mean or that will does mean we will make mistakes and right. and we will uh, damage uh, creation and we'll damage uh, one another and relationships with 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 one another it's sort of like being a parent and um, uh, allowing your child to do something even though you know it's going to turn out badly but that's part of loving that child is giving them the freedom to, to, in essence, make their own decisions, mm-hmm. do their own things. Um, well, and as somebody to the self-emptying point, you know, as to use the parent metaphor, um, you know, especially when children are little, there's an extent to which, as the adults, we we could be in control. We could exert control over that situation um, to to protect them or you know keep them from doing the thing that we think might be you know harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes an, an emptying of, of ego, I think, you know, a self-emptying to say, I know that I could control this situation, but I'm going to step back and let them let them learn the lesson, let them have this experience. Um, you know, and, and that's interesting. There's a lot of um, psychological and child development research coming out that shows that kids need that. Like kids need to make mistakes and right. they, they need to fail and fail again and and really, as a parent, your the a healthy role is not to be the protector that never lets them fail, um, but to be the the coach that's there to help them get back up after every failure. Right, and then that's much more helpful for for child development and uh, you know raising raising a functioning uh, adult right. than than always exerting control and not letting um, not letting a child make mistakes. And that's and that's poking Horn's, Horn's point that mm-hmm. uh, true. God's true love for us, um, this idea of kenosis, of self-emptying or self-limiting, in order for God to truly love us, God has to allow us to have this freedom. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Polkinghorne has this sort of larger understanding of creation. Um, it's pretty standard within uh, Christian uh, tradition that that God creates um, initially out of nothing, mm-hmm. uh, out of nothingness, uh, but that even after God creates the world, it's not like God walks away. Mm-hmm. Instead, God is... Um, uh, both transcendent and imminent, and God continues the work of creation even even to this very day. Mm-hmm. So God is continuing to be busy at the work of, of creation. So God creates at the beginning out of nothing, and God continues to create. Uh, and Polkinghorn wants to add a, a third type of creation, um, and he uses a, a Latin term, uh, creatio ex vetere, which... Um, means basically to create out of the old, but um, uh, I think a better way to think about that is to, to think of that as God, God redeems the existing creation. So um, the way Polkinghorne thinks about God's work as creator is that God begins in the beginning creating out of nothing. Throughout time, God is continually uh, in the work, busy in the work of, of, of creation, and that in God's own good time, uh, God will redeem the world. And that's our understanding of, um, of uh, that uh, eschaton, that end time, when God will um, bring all of the world back to full redemption. And um, we have this assurance through the resurrection of Christ. Um, I like to think of Christ's resurrection as the cosmic tipping point where uh, we begin moving towards, with the resurrection of Christ, we begin moving towards the, uh, 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 the, the redemption of the world uh, at the eschaton, at the, at the end of time. So um, the old creation is God's bringing into being the universe, which is free to exist on its own. And then... Uh, space is made available for uh, God to redeem all of creation. And, uh, and so, um, at, at any rate, uh, Beth, I find that really uh, pers- very, pers- uh, very persuasive. Um, another theologian, uh, Robert Russell, who we had on the show back in the spring, has, mm-hmm. has uh, reflected on Polkinghorne's idea of God's work of redemption now bringing the world to that point where the entire world is transformed and and where we all become new cre- uh, creatures in Christ not just human beings mm-hmm. but but the entire world and um, Russell suggests that as part of that as part of God's transformation of the world uh, God could change the laws of nature um, and this is not a spurious sort of out of thin air suggestion because, uh, cosmologists have already pointed out that uh, it appears that there are multiple universes and in the multiple universe contexts, we would expect the laws of nature to be different from one universe to another. Right. At, at any rate, Russell's proposal is that, um, is that at this moment of transformation and redemption at the, at the end of time, uh, when God transforms the world, then the laws of nature would be changed in such a way that uh, becoming part of a new creation would make sense. It would be part of of uh, of uh, 
of God's plan. So, um, in a way, uh, we can think about the afterlife um, as a physical resurrection, as part of God's ultimate plan for all of creation from the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, billions and billions of years ago, uh, and that this is continuing to work out even today. Right, and I think that theory um, just really prevents the kind of uh, separatism that that perhaps dualism or other perspectives have. I, I, I think that they create um, to say that, you know, we are an intrinsic part of this world Mm -hmm. and our salvation is bound up with uh, the salvation of the, of the planet of our neighbors. Um, I think um, creates a much more life giving perspective than the dualist one, which says that we're just, we're here now, but the goal is really to escape. That's right. This reality to escape. It's kind of an escapism. Exactly. Um, To escape this reality and to sort of save ourselves, but Mm -hmm but not worry about the rest. But nothing else. I mean, you know, really that's all we have control over. The physicalist perspective sees us as a, all of creation is good and um, it's more of a community right. uh, approach. So um, it, a, a, a physicalist perspective, I think, prevents us from disengaging with the rest of nature. Right. Uh, instead, it um, requires us to see that we're bound up with nature, mm-hmm. uh, even in terms of God's uh, divine pa- uh, plan for salvation and and for the afterlife. Mm-hmm. We had a call, but it went away. Um, so yeah, I think, and in this conversation, I, to go back to the one that I had earlier in the week, where we were, I was asked, uh, "Are you going? Do you know you're going to heaven when you die?" Um, you know, I was with uh, I was with our marketing director Hayden, who we've had on the show before, and and he answered the question before I could. Um, but he said, "Well, I think heaven's coming here. Like, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth." Um, and that didn't make our dualist friend uh, that didn't satisfy him. That's not what he was like. Well, no, but that's not what I asked you. <laughs> Are you going to heaven? It's like uh, so. It's it can be hard to understand one another across um, this theological like difference. Um, but I think it's important that we can. Um, can listen to one another, uh, whether we're a dualist or a physicalist, um, and and learn to, to to live together and cooperate and stay in communication. Um, and I think at the end of the day, when we're faced with death, um, that doesn't really it doesn't hold much bearing. At the end of the day, um, you know, to go, we are all connected, and that like web of relationships that you mentioned, kind of holding that together. Um, is really our task, you know, maintaining close relationship when we face the uncertain, when we face death um, is, uh, is, is what we, what we need to do rather than have a theological argument about the afterlife, uh, you know, when a loved one dies. I I think, uh, you know, the, the fundamental thing that the dualist and physicalists both agree on uh, goes back to uh, what Paul said in Romans eight, that nothing, not even death itself, can overcome God's love for us. Absolutely. God loves us so much. And um, so when I'm doing a, a funeral or comforting, trying to provide pastoral care for a family that's lost a loved one, that's always fundamental. Right. Absolutely. God's love for us. Mm-hmm. 
I'm afraid with that. Uh, it's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian talk show hosted by me, Beth Menhusen, and Richard Randolph. Be sure to tune in next Saturday for another episode of Counterbalance Radio.